This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Hey, well, Justin, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I I mean, just hearing your story is so amazing. And I think you said that a couple of people reached out to you and told you to come on the podcast, right? Yeah, it was seriously probably like 20 people or more. <laughs> And I was like, what is this podcast? I've, I've never heard of it before. Like, I think the final straw was I was getting a massage for my massage therapist. Shout out to Robin. She was like, you need to be on this pod, the comeback podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, okay, I'm going to look into it. So I did. And I was like, all right, I'm maybe I'm just meant to be on this podcast. And then come to find out that two of my business partners listen to this podcast. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. that's so, so cool. I know. It was just meant to be, I guess. So So tell me a little bit about your company cuz I know that you do something really cool. I kind of looked you up on LinkedIn. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I recently started a company with um these two other founders, Mike Allen and uh John Moore, and it's called Here Brotherhood Co. It's spelled H E A R E. Like it's a, it's a combination of the words like I'm here and I hear you. So like I'm here to hear you. I really started kind of based around my personal story and then also linking up with my partner, John Moore, and we just wanted to build something. It really started out as an apparel company to bring more awareness to men's mental health. It's evolved a lot over this past year, and we have like an app to help men out. We do events. We do retreats. Where We have our biggest retreat coming up here in Zions, close to you, actually. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of the wildflower. I have, and it's oh. so magical. I mean, yeah. I've, only, I've only seen pictures, but it is so pretty. Yeah, so we're we're doing an event there at the Wildflower. We almost have 40 guys coming to that one. Wow. We hold events and we create safe spaces for men to just open up and to be vulnerable and to share and to connect and to just relate to other men to help them not feel so alone with the the struggles and trials that they're going through in their life because that's that's the point that I was at a couple of years ago or almost 3 years ago now. It's been super awesome. And we just started in May and I just can't believe we have something called the Here Brotherhood Oath. And uh, we have almost 10,000 people who have signed it so far. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. Yeah. And it's also tattooed on my arm now. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and jump into your story. I mean, usually we just start from the beginning. And this is a super chill podcast. So you can kind of just tell your story however you want to. But Sweet. yeah, I would love to be in. Yeah. I mean, I was I was born and raised in the LDS church. I I'd never felt like a super connected to the church or even religion or even spirituality in the first place. Um, but I did grow up in the church. I was never super, super active. I did most of my friends and like didn't go to church or anything like that. I did end up serving a mission though. And I was obviously baptized and all that. Um, I served a mission in South Africa, Johannesburg, which was awesome. And I loved it very much. And I was a pretty decent missionary overall. And then I got back and I kind of started to fall away from the church again and met my wife and got back into church because she was really into church <laughs> and we ended up getting sealed in the temple at the at the draper temple and about a year into our marriage i was just like i'm done i was like i just i was never really feeling it i just wanted to kind of live a, a different lifestyle than what i felt like the church was allowing me to and i just felt like i couldn't really be my full authentic self while being a member of the church and I feel like a lot of people tend to feel that way a lot of times, but about a year into our marriage in 2015, I was just like, I'm definitely done. And I just completely stopped going to church. We 
continue staying married and it was it was pretty difficult especially when i started having kids and she would take the kids to church alone and i wasn't there i was off golfing or whatever and then things started to get a little bit worse i started to make quite a lot of mistakes i wasn't being a very good husband or father and i just decided that i wanted to live a different lifestyle and so i told my wife that i didn't want to be married anymore um, and this was when we had one little boy and one that was, she, she was also pregnant with our second boy. And so we separated the first time we separated of, of two times. And the first time was, was more on, on my terms. She was fighting like crazy for us to stay together. And eventually we did end up getting back together. And then after that, things just got much, much worse because I didn't change anything that I was doing. And I started to get a lot worse with drugs and alcohol. And then my wife kind of started to change her values as well um, because she, she was kind of trying to fit the type of person that she thought I wanted. And that was not a good path to go down at all. So were you guys like living separately at this time? Were you living together still? What did that look like for you? Were you just like out partying? Like, were you working at the time? What was your involvement like with your kids? All of that kind of stuff. So the first time we were separated, we we didn't live together. I went and lived somewhere else, and then she was living with her parents. When we got back together, that, we were only separated for about two months that time, I believe. At the time, I was in and out of finishing my degree. I was going to school at UVU with going to digital marketing. That's what I've done for the last 10 years. I was also working in digital marketing, running ads for companies and stuff like that, and then other companies that I was starting myself. And then my wife was a teacher, so she, she was an elementary school teacher at the time. Okay. And so was it mostly like alcohol that you were struggling with? You mentioned a couple of times you were struggling and you said drugs and alcohol. Do you feel like you were like addicted? Tell me a little bit more about that. I definitely wasn't addicted at that time, but I became addicted after our second separation. During our first separation, I was also unfaithful to my wife, which led to lots of issues. Um, and that was also something I struggled with later down the line. Mm. Okay. So now we're at your wife is pregnant with your second you guys separated. Then what happened after that? So we get back together and things kind of get a little better at first. And then, like I said, they just started to go even more downhill. We were together for about a year and I just started to get much, much worse. I started to make more mistakes. I started to get more into alcohol, especially. I was unfaithful to my wife and I told her and then that was it. She kicked me out of our house. I remember very specifically just how far gone I was at this time. And at this point in my life, I wasn't even really believing in God or anything like that. Like I was just, I was so far gone. And by the time she slapped me um, and kicked me out of the house, I was at a point where I just didn't even feel anything. I mean, I just didn't even care that I was, I was being kicked out of our home. And it's just crazy to think back to that time and how much has changed since then. So she kicked me out and I went and lived with one of my friends from there, it started to get really, really bad. I started to get very addicted and just started to fill my life with anything that you can think of that's that's not good for you. Just started to numb myself completely, fill my life with all these things that were just making me very temporarily happy, I thought. And I reached a point where we, we were separated for a total of six months during this one, and our divorce papers actually like officially went through. And we were getting divorced and my wife was 100% done. And I thought I was 100% done. And I got to a point where I realized how unhappy I was. And so I actually took everything out of my life. I flushed all the alcohol and drugs down the drain. I deleted all these girls numbers in my phone and I blocked them too. I deleted all my social media. 
because I wanted to see what I felt like when I didn't have any of these external things that were going on in my life. And so I deleted all that. When I was left alone in my thoughts with none of that around me, I just hated who I was. I was so incredibly unhappy. And I started to realize that I wanted the life that I had, a life that a lot of other people want and and have. And like the, the life I had was 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 something that a lot of people look for their entire lives. And I just wasn't grateful for it at all at the time. So I, I reached out to my wife, and this was around Christmas time in December. And I was just like, I, I really want to try to make it work possibly. And she's like, there's no way we're ever getting back together. And rightfully so. I was like, okay, well, I'm just unhappy. There, I see no point in living at all anymore. I drove my truck up the canyon and I uh, parked and wrote a suicide note to my, my son. I wanted to write something, but I, I didn't know what to write on. And in my car, I had one of his school pictures from when he was in preschool, I think. And I just turned it over and I wrote a suicide note to him, just telling him that I loved him and telling him that, you know, that I, I hope that he realized the importance of, of having a family and that he'll take care of his mom and his little brother. At the time, my son was, I think he was four and my other son was two. And so I wrote that note and was about ready to myself. And I got a text message from my brother-in-law or my brother. I just call my brother. I've known him since I was six. It was a text message that ended up saving my life. At the time, I don't think anyone really knew what I was exactly going to do or what I was doing. I saw that text message because my phone was just sitting up and um, I decided not to go through with it. And the text message he sent me was interesting because it's something that you don't usually tell someone that's about ready to, to kill themselves. <laughs> he told me that I was being really selfish. For some reason, that just hit me really hard. And I was he was like, you're being extremely selfish right now. So I, I took that advice and I... I just started to serve. I was trying to figure out ways to serve. And I was like, I need to do something. I need to get my my mindset off of myself. And at this time, I still wasn't really coming back to church. But I, I play the guitar. And so I decided that I was going to try to play music at like an old folks home. I don't know why I thought of that. But I was like, I'm just going to try to go play music at an old folks home. And I, I called like several old folks homes. And surprisingly, like no one wanted me <laughs> to come play <laughs> music for them. <laughs> That like everyone just thought I was like some weirdo or something. And I would I was just calling random old folks homes around me and I was like, Can I come play music for like the seniors that live there? And they were they'd be like, Oh, like how much do you charge? And I was like, No, I just want to do it for free. And they're like, No, I don't I don't think we're gonna let you do this. So I was like, What's the deal? That and so after I know. So after like the tenth one or something, I, I finally found one. It was like the complete opposite reaction. <laughs> she was just like so excited to have me come and play immediately. And so I went and played at this old folks home for a while um, and I just played all these songs and I loved that. And I started to get a little bit happier quite a bit. Um, at this time, I was still kind of trying to make it work with my wife and she was like, there's no way, there's no way we're ever getting back together. And it was really hard for me. Then Christmas came, I kind of started drinking a little bit again. My, I remember waking up on my parents' couch Christmas morning and I was a little bit hungover. And I remember my phone just going nuts on the table and I pick up my phone and it's all these pictures of my, of my boys, like opening up presents and anyone who has been separated or divorced and has experienced like that first Christmas of missing it with their kids. It is like one of the most painful things I ever had to go through that and cleaning out our, uh, our apartment 
those two moments were honestly one of the hardest moments, even aside from me almost ending my life, <laughs> throwing away pictures of your family and journals that you've written together and all that stuff. A lot of people don't think of those those things when they're going through separations or divorces, and they, they always just have in their head frame that it's the grass is greener on the other side. And the grass is never, ever, ever greener on the other side, <laughs> ever, ever. Grass is definitely always greener where you water it. Christmas came. I got those pictures and I was just a complete mess. I was like, I have to get my family back. And I wrote down this huge list and I was like, I, I showed it to my wife, Sarah. And I was like, here's all the changes I'm going to make. I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to become worthy to go to the temple again. I'm going to stop doing all these terrible things. And I showed her and she was still like, no, there's no way we're getting back together. And I got to a point, I, I read my patriarchal blessing after that. I was like, I need to change for myself regardless if I ever get back to, together with my wife, if I get my kids back, whatever happens, I need to change as a human being. I need to change for myself and I need to change for God. And so I made that decision officially. And I started to, to come back to church. I went, I went to my parents' bishop and I told him, I was like, I want to come back to church. He was like, okay, like why? And we, we, we talked and I had to go through disciplinary council. And I remember I had a very profound moment when I was meeting with the bishop when I left the church, I left for a lot of reasons. Like, and I don't, I didn't hate the church or anything like that, but I just had all these kind of common issues that I feel like a lot of people tend to have or lack of faith or, or struggle with church history or whatever, you know, just all this stuff that's all over the place all the time. And I started to tell my parents, Bishop, I just was listing off this like laundry list of issues. I was like, I have this issue and this issue, and this issue, and I don't think these are ever going to change. And I just, and then he, he stops me. And he was like a younger bishop, which I feel like maybe helped a little bit. Like, I feel like I was just able to relate to him a little bit more. And he stopped me while I was talking about all the problems I had <laughs> with the church. He's like, Justin, you need to stop putting the church on a pedestal. You are putting your faith and your testimony in the wrong things. And for some reason, that moment has been how I now like live my life in the church. My opinions and issues I had before are still all there. And it's not like I've shoved them under the rug. It's not like I've convinced myself that I don't have those issues or anything. But I no longer am putting the church, this earthly structure, on this pedestal that I was before. My testimony is not in the bishop. It's not in the prophet. It's not in... I, I Sometimes I joke. I'm like, we could find out that the present Nelson is like a serial killer, which is insane. Like, that would never, ever happen. <laughs> If, if that did happen or if anything crazy happened, I'm like, it still wouldn't shake my testimony because my testimony is not in the earthly part of the church. I think it's a little different than somehow other people view it, but that's how I've started to view it. And it's what has really helped me to kind of really separate that religious and spirituality component of my faith. And it's made my testimony a lot stronger and my relationship with God a lot better. So yeah, I went to the bishop and had that really good conversation. I started the disciplinary council process. They, they like rebranded it. They call it something else now. I don't remember what they call it. They rebranded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was really worried about getting excommunicated because for all the stuff I did to typically would get excommunicated, but I guess they're also not doing that very much anymore because I was really worried about breaking the ceiling for my wife, even though she still didn't want to get back together. <laughs> but my wife was being supportive in all of this that was happening. Come January, I remember fasting. And I hate fasting. No one likes fasting, but I genuinely hate it. With I hate it so much. <laughs> I fasted the most legitimately for the first time in my life, I think. And I remember 
it so well because New Year's Eve is a kind of a big deal in my family. And we go and celebrate it at my, my brother-in-law's house and my sister. And he's an incredible cook. And they make all these like incredible dishes and food and like steak and like just the whole deal. And I, for some stupid reason, decided to fast during that time, like not thinking about it. <laughs> and so I remember being at my family's house while I was fasting. And I fasted for 24 hours with no water or food. And I just remember being one of the hardest. And even my family was tempting me. They're like, just fast tomorrow. They're like, just, it's fine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are like Satan right now in my ear. All I was fasting for, the only thing was that my wife would be able to see the true intents of my heart. That was like all I was fasting for. I was like, I'm not even fasting for getting back together. I just want her to know that the intents of my heart are are pure and true and that I am changing. That's all I wanted. And then literally the day after i'm sure you're familiar with like manifesting and my, my wife's into like manifesting and yoga and stuff like that so she went to like this manifesting yoga class i didn't know what it was at the time and she she sent me a text and she's like hey do you mind if i come over later and we can talk for a little bit about something and i had i had no idea what it was about so i was like okay that's fine and earlier that day i remember crying because i remember sending her a text being like i want to get back together and she's like there's no way and this was that day and she came over and she's like, can we go sit on your bed? And she's like, I want to read to you something. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So we go in my room and we sit down and she takes out this journal that she had. She explained to me what manifesting was and the whole, the whole deal of what she went through. And I was like, okay, cool. And she's like, I want to read to you what I wrote during my manifestation class. The first line she read was me and Justin are back together as a family. And I just broke down <laughs> and tears. <laughs> I just was not expecting that to happen at all. And at that point, I was almost getting to the point of just being like, I'm, I was in a really good place, like emotionally and mentally and spiritually, but I still wanted my family back, but I knew that I would be okay regardless of the outcome. And I feel like that's always something important to understand. Um, cause I also talked to a lot of guys who always hit me up and they're like, how do I get my family back? And how did you do this? And I'm like, the question you need to be asking yourself is how do you get yourself to a place where you're okay regardless of the outcome of what happens? Because that's that's where you need to be. Um, because frankly, what happened with me and my wife is like a miracle. Um, typically, it doesn't happen that way. In her manifestation, also wrote down all these things. She's like, Justin has finally finished his degree. She didn't say finally, but she's like, Justin finished Because <laughs> it took me 12 years to finish my degree. I just hated school and I was in and out. But she's like, Justin's done with his degree, which is something I still wanted to do. She's like, we have a home, he's in a good job, we have a new baby, we have a dog, all these things. And every every single thing she wrote down that day when she manifested it um, has come true since then. That is so cool. Yeah, we're obviously, we, we ended up getting back together 90 days specifically after that. We had like some terms that she wanted me to meet. She wanted us to both, she was already seeing a therapist at the time. We tried therapy in the past. I was a little hesitant, but we found this amazing therapist. I send literally everyone I possibly can to him because he's just absolutely incredible. We went to him separately. And then when he felt like it was right, we met together as a couple. We, we gave it 90 days and we got back together. And I still remember the very day that I was with my family again for the first time when, when she decided that was okay. And I remember we decided to go to Hogel Zoo in the winter. And I don't know if you know if you've ever been in there in the winter. I don't think I have. Not many people go. I didn't even know it was open. But we went like dead winter in January. It was one of the most beautiful memories 
I've ever had in my life. And I still can picture it so vividly in my mind. We were like the only ones at the zoo and the snow was like lightly falling. And it was just such a spiritual and beautiful moment. And I still have this image in my head where I was kind of like, I was standing back and I saw my wife and I saw my two boys and I was just like, this is what I want. And I started to have, I started to have this eternal mindset or celestial mindset, if you watch this last general conference. So I, I really started to have that mindset, which really shifted my whole perspective on life and how I live it now. I eventually went through the whole disciplinary process for a year and, you know, became worthy again to go to the temple and everything. So how long, when was that? Like, how long have you been back in the church now? It's almost been three years now. So that was in 2020. Awesome. So tell me what some of the things are that you do to kind of maintain your spiritual connection. I've put my faith and testimony totally in the basic gospel principles that were taught ever since we're little. And, you know, which is like baptism, having faith, repenting, the atonement. I think for the first time ever in my life during that time, I repented, even though I, I thought I could kind of repented before. But since that time, I've had three incredibly spiritual experiences since I came back to church that I had, I'd never even had closely those experiences in my life before. And it's really because I put all my focus on that spirituality component of building my relationship with God and not so much trying to convince myself that the church is true. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I love that so much. I think that a lot of times, I mean, like you were saying, people focus so much on all the things about like church history and X, Y, and Z. And it's like, actually, the church is like a place where we go to meet God there. It's like the vehicle that we can gain a stronger relationship that the church is not God, you know, and yeah. it's too, I mean, it's where people go to meet God, but it's not perfect. And that's okay. And I think once you can kind of be like, you know what, there, there's things that happened in the past. And also that is true. And also the church is somewhere where I can feel closer to the savior. So, yeah, there's just so many, I don't know. You hear so many things about church history and things like that. And it's like, when you start to have that more perspective of like the spirituality shift and like putting your testimony, not in the church like those things just don't matter. Like I never got it when some people like my wife were like, it just doesn't matter to me. And I'm like, how can that not matter? I'm like, how can it not matter? Because I'm like, if this happened then this like maybe isn't true. And then if you do this and like, then that doesn't make sense, man. It's just like, it just doesn't matter. Like, it's like, how do you, how do you feel? Because but the Bishop, he was like, the church is like this imperfect earthly thing that we have until Christ comes again. Like in, in the church so often, we're always, we always say like, well, they're, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. But it's like, we don't, a lot of people don't understand or believe that. Like they don't realize that like prophets and apostles make mistakes. Like sometimes things that they say are taken back. Like there was the thing that came out in church a few years ago about how kids couldn't be like baptized if they were, do you remember that? Yes. It was like this huge deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And like people, it, it pissed me off and I'm sure it made a lot of people mad but then they went back on it. But like stuff like that before would have like shaken my testimony because my testimony was not in the basic gospel principles and the atonement and all those things. It was in the church. 
And it was like every opportunity I had to be like, oh, see, see, they made a mistake. It's not true. None of it's true. <laughs> and then people use that as an excuse to go and live this life that they, they want to live. And I don't know if you know much about my story, but I was a heroin addict and I oh, got, yeah, and I got sober 10 years ago. When I first got sober and I was coming back to church, I felt like everything was black and white. And like, I've actually talked about this a little bit and had people challenge me where they're like, actually, like it is black and white. And I'm kind of like, actually, it's not black and white. It's so much more than just a black and white color. Like it's so much more than that. It's about finding the savior and it's about our heavenly father. And it's not about just like, you're perfect or you're not, or you're, you're doing everything or you're not, and you're checking all the boxes and you're, or you're not. It's about your relationship with the savior. And obviously there's things that we need to do to be able to go to the temple. And obviously there are things that we need to do to be worthy to partake of the sacrament and go to the temple. At the end of the day, it is about our relationship with our savior and our heavenly father. Yeah. And that looks different. Like we're all different people. Like that, those aren't things that bothered me growing up. Was it's like once you told someone you're LDS or you're Mormon, it's like, oh, then you're like this. Like mm -hmm. you are now this mm -hmm. person. And it just drove me nuts because I was never that person. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like I was so alone in my frame of thinking. It's funny that a lot of people do have that black and white mindset. When it's mm -hmm. funny, it's like you look back at how Christ taught. And when Christ was on earth, he was not that way at all. That was the whole like issue with him and what were the like the Pharisees or whatever. They wanted him to act a certain way. They wanted him to do certain things that they read about in the in the scriptures. And he wasn't like fitting that general description of what they wanted to see. And it was like, well, he's not Christ. I have this theory that when Christ comes again, <laughs> like there's a lot of people who are going to do the same thing. Yeah, because they they don't focus their testimony on knowing Christ, like you said. And, mm -hmm. and like really understanding the atonement and the actual important things that have to do with our salvation. Because there's so many little things, there's so many culturally and generational things that are influencing the church that we, we feel like are these things we have to do in order to return to live with God again that I just don't agree with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we put way too much emphasis on rather than putting emphasis on things on like loving your neighbor as yourself, loving God with all your heart, all these basic things that sometimes we forget and we see someone drinking coffee and we're like, oh my gosh, like, what are they doing? Like, what are they thinking? No, I, I think that, I think it's true. The fact that anybody judges anybody for anything is just, it's wrong, you know, and everyone's just doing the best they can. And Heavenly Father loves his children and it is not for us to decide if they're doing what they should be doing, everyone is on their path back to him. And I've been spiritually reaffirmed about people in my life that Heavenly Father is very aware of exactly what he's doing. And it's none of my business to be inserting my opinion and pushing what I think where they need to be in my mind because Heavenly Father's in charge, not me. That was really kind of eye-opening for me and like doing this podcast and hearing all of the different experiences that people go through that lead them back to the gospel. It's pretty amazing to see how God works in people's lives to bring them back. And it is never our place to judge somebody for where they're at or what they're doing. It's just our place to to love them for where they're at. Yeah, I, I do feel like it's getting, it seems to be getting like better. Even even the church itself, I feel like there's so much emphasis more now put on Christ 
which I really like. One thing that bothered me when I was, which was dumb, but it bothered me when my kids would come home and they would have pictures of like Joseph Smith. And I'm like, why are we drawing pictures of Joseph Smith? I really like the direction the church has gone. Like even the strength of youth, how that's changed, I think is really, really cool and going in the right direction. And just the the huge emphasis more on, on Christ and going by the spirit rather than checking a, a things off lists or, you know, checking off boxes and and stuff like that. I really do like the direction it's headed in, but it's still not perfect. And the leaders still aren't perfect. And people still make mistakes all the time. Sometimes those are big mistakes, but just because someone makes mistakes doesn't mean that they should be defined or the entire right. church should be defined. By, yeah. By like, those mistakes. Yes. It's like, clearly you're doing a lot of good work in your life with your company that you've built. And it's like, you wouldn't want somebody to be like, oh, well, he can't do this good work because of these things he did in his past. Yeah. Or Ashley, you can't have a podcast because you did heroin back in the day or whatever. It's like everybody goes through things and everybody learns and everyone's refined by their challenges. And we are where we are because of the things we've gone through. Yeah. And those challenges either make us stronger or they don't. Yep. <laughs> 100%. Well, so what advice would you have for somebody that's maybe struggling or in the place that you were in? Or what advice would you give for somebody that's in that place? Specifically with like the church? With the church or just like, I mean, the dark place you were in mentally? Well, with the church, it's crazy. I feel like so many people are leaving the church now. Like even even really close friends that I've had in there, they were those types of people growing up where you're like, they will never, ever leave the church ever. <laughs> I was for sure the kid where I'm sure when I left, people were like, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that he left. I have friends where it's like, they've left the church now. It's been a total shock. And a lot of times people leave the church for really little reasons sometimes. And like, I know sometimes those reasons seem big, but when you take it down to its, its core principles of like what we're taught and what Christ wants us to do, focus on those components. When, when you break it down, I, our church is not perfect, but our church answers a lot of questions. I served a mission. You find out that our church answers so many really cool questions that a lot of people don't have the answer to, you know, like temples and the celestial kingdom and, and being with your family forever. And all these things, the plan of salvation, like they're just really, really cool things. When you break it down, we get so sidetracked by like, like just these little insignificant things in history and history is like a foreign country. So it's like, we're always trying to pick up our history and what happened when it's like, it was a completely different time back then because history has been a huge struggle with me with the church. And I've just been able to, to get over that now. I, I feel like a lot of people in the church, like want to start drinking or they want to start doing other things. Don't let it affect your testimony. If you want to live a lifestyle that you don't feel like fits the lifestyle of an LDS person. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, in my mind, it's like after I went down my path of drinking and doing drugs, it's like 10 out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> like, in I'm not fact, saying I, re I'm not saying yeah, I recommend. No, no I know, I know. But I'm just yeah. saying that, like, for me, the fact that our church asks you not to drink alcohol is such a testimony builder for me because I've seen it destroy my life and so many people's lives around me that it's like, holy crap to have a religion that actually says drinking alcohol is not part of the religion when i got sober joining a church that had all of these sober people in it was such a gift for me 
And to me, it's so testimony building that our church is part of the word of wisdom is not drinking alcohol. It's like, dang, how cool is that? That God gave this revelation. I've seen so many people leave because they start to drink. They also define themselves by like, okay, I want to drink. So now since I did that, now I'm not going to be involved yeah. in this whatsoever. And then people go like nuts. Like yes. they go off the rails. I've had friends who, it, it starts with alcohol so often. They start drinking and then all of a sudden they're like swinging with their friends and their neighborhood. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Like, yeah. not, like this isn't normal behavior. Right. If you do make mistakes, which everyone does, whether it be alcohol or whatever it is, whatever your vice is, that doesn't have to affect your overall testimony. Because a lot of people, they, they do that and they just, I, I see it happen so much. They just go off the rails. It happens a lot with people that are raised in the church and are LDS and like haven't done a lot of that when they were younger and they decide they want to down the line. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they start doing crazy things because they think that's how the rest of the world is. Really not. People don't like just go nuts all the time. Yeah. We need to, I don't know, just focus on the basic gospel principles of the gospel and there's peace and there's safety in in the gospel after hearing your experience and like what you went through of you know stepping away and experiencing life without the church and my own personal experience of that too i think that is ultimately what we find is that like it's, it's there's peace and safety here and it's pretty amazing and i think some people can see that as boring you know, when that's all you've ever known your whole life, it can seem boring. But once you've like stepped on the other side and experienced that, it's like, oh, wait, actually, peace and safety is actually really it's, cool. It's funny you just said that because I went to lunch with this guy who's been struggling in his marriage and him and his wife has been, they've both been living a pretty crazy lifestyle, you know, and he, he, he grew up not really LDS and she grew up pretty LDS. And I was having lunch with him. We had an amazing lunch. And at the end, he's like, I just want to have like a boring life. He's like, I just want to be with my wife and my kids. There's this like beauty in having a boring life with the family. I feel like it also goes back to that, like thinking celestial mindset, e even in moments where you're not happy, because a lot of people also related to that. They're like, well, I'm not happy 24 seven. So therefore it's like, I must not be living the right lifestyle I want to live. And it's like, man, when you can just take a step back and have that like eternal and celestial mindset about things, where am I headed? Do I really believe in this? If I do believe in this, what does that mean down the line after I die? Do I want to be with my family? Like all these questions. And then when people really see the big picture of things, man, all these little things that they want to do in their life to make them temporarily happy, all of a sudden become so minuscule and unimportant in the grand scheme of things. So true. I'll never forget I went to jail for four months once and I remember four when I was, months? yes. And when I was in jail, I remember I'm on my bunk bed and I'm thinking I would give anything for normal people problems. Like I would give anything to like be upset that I got a speeding ticket or to be upset that I have a bill that's due or I would give anything to just have normal people problems. I think about that and how we by keeping the commandments and doing what the church asks us to do, it's having those normal people problems is like such a gift. It really is. And like, so I actually still keep the suicide note. I wrote my son and I keep it in my car and I read it like once a month or if I feel like I need to, because sometimes I find myself getting back in the mindset of I'm, I'm just a person that gets bored really easily. 
when I start getting bored, I start wanting to do things that I shouldn't do. And then that's kind of how a lot of my issues have come up from what I realized through therapy. One thing that helps me is either going back and looking at pictures of myself, or I'll go and read that suicide letter wrote to my son to remember what state I was in three years ago. And then all of a sudden, like whatever the problem is I'm going through now, whether I'm like getting kind of bored or I'm unhappy or finances are tight or whatever it is, I go back and read that. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for my life that I have right now. I still pray and I'm like, please let me never forget where I came from and like what state I was in during that time, because I never want to forget that because I never want to go back to being that person ever, ever. Right. Yep. I love that. That is so good. I can relate to that so much. Well, it has been so fun having you on the podcast. Do you yeah. have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad that I reached out. I've been on quite a few podcasts and I've never asked anyone. I've never asked someone to be on a podcast ever. So you are the very first person I asked to be on our podcast. I'm so honored. You should feel pretty honored because I was honestly kind of embarrassed to reach out and ask to be on the podcast. But I, was, I am honored. I was literally like, it has to be a sign, right? I was like, just so yeah. many people were telling me about the podcast and it was finally my massage therapist. And I was like, if I'm being told by my massage therapist to go and get on this podcast, I was like, that was it. Thank you. And thank you for doing this. I think it's a really cool idea for a podcast. And I feel like so many people right now need to hear these stories that are being told on here. So I agree. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yes. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.